When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Welcome to the Takeoff Experience where I sit down with highly driven people to talk about their journey, their failures and their successes. If you want to take off in your career, your business, your finances or your mindset, then this podcast is for you. Welcome back to the takeoff. So this is the first episode that I recorded in the new year and it feels good to be back. I know y'all miss me. I see some of you still listening to the podcast while it hasn't been out. Um, so I'm very, very excited for today's episode. We have my boy Topsy, who is a property expert and he provides some of the best content on property for first time buyers as well as property investors and i know we've had a few episodes on property but i wanted to get a bit deeper into it so that we can focus on first-time buyers and first-time property investing but we'll see how how this conversation goes so how are you doing today bro i'm good i'm good obviously um we spoke a little bit beforehand been a little bit under the weather but i'm recovering nice yeah. so um i'm all good yeah. just trying to trying to make it a good year yeah <laughs> Yeah, bro, I see you posting content still. You're like, yeah, I don't care if I'm, if I'm ill, I'm still going to post that content. You know you know what's funny as well? Like, I sometimes feel like I'm lacking. I'm not doing anywhere near enough. And then people say, I see you all the time online. I'm mm. like, what? I'm not posting mm. like a week, but not posting in a week for some people is like <laughs> not posting in 25 years. Whereas if you post once a week for other people, that's yeah. like too much. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy with the with the whole like social media stuff because you're right. For some people, posting a week is is more than enough to to see. Right, they only need to see you once a week, and that's that's enough. For others, it's all the time. I think honestly, whatever you do that works for you is the best best way. For me, I came to a decision that I'm only gonna post on Instagram twice a week. Yeah, I've got my days, Tuesday, Thursdays, maybe Fridays instead of Thursdays. And that's it. Keep it yeah. like that. No pressure on me. Can get my, my quality content out. Hopefully people enjoy it. And then, yeah, move on to the next week. So, yeah, man, I hope that you, that you start to feel better to and I appreciate v. you. Hmm? Sorry, I, was, I was just saying, if, huh? you speak to, if you speak to Gary Vee, he'll be like, you got to post 25 times a day. TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, man. I... Every five minutes. <laughs> yeah that's toxic man in my opinion that's that's toxic man like i don't think that's a blueprint to be fair but you know each to their own at the end of the day and i and i appreciate you um you know taking the time to um to jump on the pod i know the listeners are definitely going to appreciate everything that you have to say today so we always start the podcast with this question this is like the most important question on the podcast to be fair um what is your worst financial mistake (laughs) Um, I've made so many. <laughs> Where do I start? Um, worst financial mistake. Let me think about that. Okay, the one that comes to mind uh, straight away. I think it was my 25th mm-hmm. birthday. 25th or 24th birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, I booked a table at a nightclub. I can't remember the name of the nightclub. It was somewhere in central London. And I just sort of didn't really pay attention to how much the table cost was going to be. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to invite everybody, pay for everyone's entry, and I'll do it at the end. It can't be that bad. 
got a little bit carried away, got a couple more bottles of Ciroc. End of the night came, it was like 3 a.m. Like half the people had left. And then table service came to me, goes, oh yeah, here's your bill. I was like, oh, yeah, look to the bill. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> it was like two and a half grand. Wow. Two and a half grand. I remember I just- What? Two insane. and a half grand. Aye, that's crazy. It was insane. I think it was around two grand. It was insane. And I just had to firm it and stick it all on, all on, I think two credit cards at the time. So I remember I was paying that back for oh my a long gosh. time. So uh, yeah, that's definitely- Wow. Worst financial mistake that I can immediately think of. Wow, that's crazy. So you're never you're you're never gonna book a table again, right? Nah, but I don't think <laughs> you're scarred from that from that situation. No, I don't think I've booked a table wow. since. Wow. <sighs> you know what? The table thing. Honestly, I've done it and I, I just feel like it's overrated in my opinion because I feel like you're just stuck. Like, you're basically a tree in the club. You're out there to walk around, go to the bar, dance. When you got a table, you just got to stick, sit to it because you want to guard your, your your bottle like like you're in a war or something. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a bit mad. Wow, wow. Interesting story. Yeah. Wow, crazy. See, our favourite financial influencers, man. We, we, we all go through these things. Um, so, wanted to just get a bit of an insight. So, can you give us a bit of an insight into the day in the life of Topsy? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so I work nine to five. Currently, I'm actually not in a nine to five mm. moment, but typically when I am, okay. I'm doing my job most most of the time working from home. But I do my business okay. on the side, which is property purchaser, which essentially provides okay. knowledge, advice, and services to first time buyers in the form mm. of property reports. Okay also property chats and referrals to any professionals that they may need to speak to as well. So that's what that business does as well as okay. a content thing. And then on my personal side, I'm also a presenter, uh, done a few YouTube bits here and there, appear on the BBC every now and again, make content online. And yeah, just mm-hmm. trying to build myself within that media space as well. Um, so yeah, I would say the job, the content from my personal standpoint and the business is what keeps me occupied. Mm-hmm. Hence why I typically work, I typically work from home. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, yeah, I heard you and uh, Clarence. Shout out to to Clarence. Yeah, on the radio twice now. You guys smashing it, you know. Yeah, you yeah, see, yeah. it was BBC Radio One, isn't it? No, so yeah, that yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, that was sick, man. BBC and, at the time, yeah, was so it BBC Radio One? BBC Essex. I've been on. Yeah, this year it was this year, and then you did it the year before, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've been on BBC Radio yeah. One quite a few times. BBC Breakfast, like a lot of the outlets. I've been on quite a few of them, but. Mm. Well, me and uh, CK did was uh, mm. BBC Essex, yeah, just discussing first-time buyers, the market, and mortgages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you guys, you guys smashed it. Like you provided so much, so much gems, which is why I wanted to get you, um, get you on. And like, it was so natural. There was no nervousness. I mean, were you nervous actually behind it? Were you like, ah, oh, like the bit? You know what? I want to say that I am. I was, but if I'm being totally honest with you, I just really wasn't. I remember the first, yeah. the first few appearances I did on. I did on radio, of course I was nervous. I didn't want to say anything stupid. I didn't want to, mm-hmm. want to embarrass my family, you know. Yeah. But I've done it quite a few times now where it just feels like a conversation between you and the radio host or yeah. you and the TV host. And so long as you don't think mm-hmm. about anyone watching, you have a good conversation. But also bear in mind, you're trying to offer value to anyone listening. I don't tend to get that many nerves yeah. in you, know, honest with you. But yeah, just make sure, I just okay. want to make sure that yeah. I'm offering value. You know, it's exciting to be on radio. It's exciting to be on TV. Yeah. 
but it's more important to make sure that you're mm-hmm. offering useful information to the listenership. Yeah, 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 you see, this is, you see, this is, this is what I'm saying. Like, you just got the right attitude and that's why I love, love about you and your content, man. It's just, yeah, just to coming from the right place, in my opinion. So, okay, so I wanted to take it back a bit. Yeah. To how you actually got to where you got to, right? So, okay, let's take it back to the beginning. Where, where are your parents actually from? Yeah, sure. So, my, this feels like a, like a live story. I like it. Um, so I was, um, mm. I'm, from, I'm from Nigeria. Parents are from Nigeria. Um, okay. Mum was born in the UK. Dad was born in Nigeria. Both settled here around late eighties. Okay. Uh, I was born in 91. I'm okay. I'm 30 years old. And then, yeah, just always lived in and around North London, then Hertfordshire and then bought my own place in, in Watford, in Watford around seven years ago. Okay. We rented it out and then moved into it about six and a half years later towards the end of last year. And then in terms of work, yeah, just always worked within the property industry ever since I graduated from university. Mm-hmm. I studied international relations and economics, okay, okay. what I was going to get into politics, what I was going to be, oh, wow. you know, this, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> political, political mastermind. And then, yeah, I just ended up in a state agency and the rest is history. Wow, wow, wow. So I wanted to actually ask you, so what tribe are you, Nigerian? Yoruba, Yoruba. Yeah, you're about okay, 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 cool, cool. I don't, I don't have a problem with any tribe, by the way. I just put it out there for any of the listeners. Yeah, I'm Nigerian too. Yeah. I'm okay, so my dad's Ijo and then my mom's Ibo. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, plus my, my mom's like Sierra Leonean as well. So, I like I'm a, a little bit of, um, of a mix. Wow, so okay, so that's how you went. So, I was gonna actually ask you, so you did go to university, you said that you studied, um, you said, was it economics and yeah, international economics. Okay, that's interesting. You know, I wanted to actually do international relations. Uh, so I did a law degree and I wanted to do law and international relations because I was always interested in global politics and all that sort yeah. of stuff as well. And I wanted to do like the whole traveling thing, but I was like, you know what, let me just leave it. Um, rah, that's crazy. Wow, so you had a very, 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 very background. And you said that you went into an estate agency yeah. was your first was that your first job correct yeah so okay okay number six right, okay uh, a company called foxton's i you know I was okay. re- oh fox yeah company called fox you're saying it like it's light work fox is big you know yeah i was there at foxton's got promoted really quickly i ended up being a manager mm-hmm. of um you know a couple of north london offices sorry one north london office mm-hmm. and after that, I just sort of felt like I'd reached my learning curve. So I wanted to get more into the tech side of the business. Mm. And for the last two or three years, okay. I've sort of been in what's called prop tech. So, um, you know, the part of the okay. industry, which is trying to make property and just everything within that industry more efficient with any technological solutions that they can okay. provide. So a number of different companies, I won't bore you with their names, but um, that's what I did uh, during that time. But also over the last three years, I set up okay. my own platform, Property Purchaser, has really got me within which is what got me within okay. this space of you know providing content providing value and also services mm-hmm. to first-time buyers and property investors as well wow 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 i love this story so far man this is sick because i was gonna understand why why estate agency and why property and not nothing else yeah it's a good question you know why mm. um i mean to be honest with you i think i applied for the job because i saw that you got a company mm-hmm. car and loads of commission that's literally the only okay. reason <laughs> yeah um, that's good perks yeah exactly there was a website called milkbrand.com at the time so i just saw the first job on there from foxton's i applied mm-hmm. and i didn't really think twice about doing anything else i initially thought i was gonna 
go into professional services, you know, Ernst & Young, KPMG, Deloitte, PwC, or potentially even investment banking, mm-hmm. JP Morgan, Citigroup, mm-hmm. um, Goldman Sachs, Barclays, but I wasn't good enough to get past any of those assessment centers. So I just ended up mm-hmm. going to the agency. Mm-hmm. So it was really just by default, if I'm being honest with you. Okay. But then I also realized I really like okay. people. People have called me charismatic. People have said I'm a good communicator. I'm a good presenter. So I ended up really enjoying the job and learned a load of what I would call sort of key property knowledge and key property skills during that time as well, which is pretty much what I place as responsible for me being able to buy a property as young as young as I did. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. You see, this is what's so interesting because I used to work for the big four i mean i only just literally left one of them in december right and just like you i think after i got after i finished my masters i don't feel like i was at that point in their eyes good enough to get there right at that time right or as cleaned up as they they would have liked which is interesting but then i ended up working there later on so i feel like the lesson is is even if you like feel like you're not ready or you're not good enough at a certain point in time that doesn't mean in the future you're not going to be ready for it do you know what i mean i mean if you wanted to apply there now i'm sure that it would probably be light work for you yeah because of all the experience that you've gained um so yeah wow that's a that's crazy so i wanted to ask you because you've been in property for so long what's the one thing about being in property that surprises you um that surprises me i would say that Mm. I'd probably, I'd probably say that um, because I've worked in it for so long, it a lot of the knowledge that I have sort of feels like it's general knowledge, like it, everyone would just know it. Mm. Not. So whenever mm. I'm providing advice, whether it's on um, mortgages or whether it's on the home buying process mm. or what schemes are available to you mm. or how loan to value works yeah. or how the income ratio works or what leasehold is, what freehold is, what a service charge is, what a management company is, mm-hmm. this is stuff that I th- assume it's general knowledge but then from speaking to people and from the questions I get there's a lot of people who are first-time buyers who haven't bought yet who quite literally know nothing I, I can't remember the specific specific yeah. but I was I think it was something along the lines of around I think 60 or 70 percent of those aged 18 five mm. don't understand how mortgage works I can't remember what sample size that was or what company gave that statistic or even if those yeah. did accurate but it's along those lines and it sort of just tells you that the knowledge gap is, yeah. is really significant so a big part of what i do is to try and fill that knowledge gap mm. but also make people laugh along the way whilst i'm doing it which is why i make all of those sort yeah, of yeah 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 videos as well yeah 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 your reels are lit man i i, I like them I, I really like them and you know what it's it's true what you're saying in terms of when you gain knowledge sometimes you forget that now you've gained this knowledge. Other people haven't gained it. So when you're you're saying stuff, you're like, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because at the end of the day, none of this stuff, you gained your knowledge from being, you know, being an estate agent. So you heard the lingo, you probably asked them, what does this mean? You've viewed probably hundreds of property. You've probably gone through so many, so many deals. So you have all of that experience. Whereas a first time buyer, they're like, how do I buy a house? What do I look for? I mean, even just the basic of what do you look for? We're not even talking about the financial aspect or even going through the process. It's so like, there's so much to it and there's so many like pitfalls. Um, Going on to pitfalls, what would you say has been the biggest challenge you've had of being in property yourself? 
biggest challenge from a career perspective was probably was probably just learning how to manage disappointment. So being an estate agent, you definitely feel you definitely yeah. come across a lot of disappointment. I would say around thirty percent okay. all agreed sales fall through. So in this country, nothing is actually really until yeah, nothing is legally binding in terms in yeah. the sale until exchange of contracts have happened. So around thirty percent of sales that are agreed okay. through. So as an estate agent, when you look at your pipeline, you're working out your commission, you're working out how many how many tables you can buy next week, and then all of a sudden that sale. Yeah. Falls. So learning how to manage that disappointment and not letting it affect you to when you're approaching your next sort of prospect is a really important skill and a difficult yeah. learning curve that you have to that you have to go along. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's. It's crazy because, you know, when you were saying that, I just remembered that in Scotland, it's different, right? Is it as soon as you, what is it again? Is it as soon as you give some kind of verbal confirmation? It's like, it's binding. I I can't remember what it was called. If I'm honest, I don't know the exact homebound process in Scotland, but I believe the legally binding element Mm. comes a lot sooner. So you're not sort of kept in limbo, you know, for months, months and um, so that's what's slightly different about uh, the process in Scotland, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, that's stressful, man. Like stressful. Even you're telling me, even after people pay their deposit, they're still they're just pulling out sometimes. No, so deposit in is got two definitions in the context of property. So when you exchange okay. contracts, okay, the solicitor requires you to put mm. down a deposit, which is typically ten percent of the value of a sale, which acts as a security, which acts. Okay. as collateral for those contracts to be in, be exchanged. But the other definition of a deposit okay. is how much cash you're putting down to actually buy that property. So if you've got a 25% deposit okay. and a 75% mortgage, that's your cash deposit. But the, in the context of exchange contracts, a deposit is what's used as security and collateral in order to exchange contracts. So you can't, you, if you pull out or if the sale falls through after exchange of contracts, then there are repercussions for that. Mm-hmm. Typically, whoever's the whoever sort of caused that fall through is the one who has to pay the consequences for that. But it can get quite complicated, and um, solicitors are on hand to deal with that process. I've rarely seen it. I've rarely seen deals fail to get to completion mm-hmm. after exchange, but it does happen every now and again. Okay, okay, all right, okay. So let's talk about some of these terms because I wanted to go into first-time buyer schemes, but I thought it'd be appropriate if we just talk through the whole process. Because yeah. first-time buyers, they, they've never gone through this process. I've gone through this process. You've gone this, through this process yeah. several times. So let's talk about the process and let's let, let's break down what they what they mean. So, okay. So imagine I was a first-time buyer and I found a flat that I really liked in, I don't know, somewhere in West London. Let's say Shepherd's Bush, right? I found a really nice flat in Shepherd's Bush. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> not that I could afford it. <laughs> Listeners, I can't, I can't afford a, a place in Shepherd's Bush. Not yet. I don't, actually, no, I don't think I can. <laughs> I don't think I can. Um, so okay, so say I liked, I, I liked one. What would, what would I need? To, what would I do at that point? What's like the process at that point? So if you found a property liked in Shepherd's Bush, I'm assuming by that point you've already spoken to a mortgage broker mm. and you've already got your deposit yeah. saved up and you understand what you can actually afford to okay. buy. Those are the steps that you need to take first and foremost. And even before that, I would also Mm -hmm. say you need to assess every single option that's available to you. So there's a few steps that I would even discuss Mm -hmm. and really hone in on before anyone even starts looking for a property. So 
That's what I would say in that particular instance. In terms of the next steps, once you find a property that you've liked, I would definitely say, speak to me, get a report on that property because that's one of the services that my business provides, a detailed report on all the data attached to that specific property. So um, I would definitely say that, little plug. But then I'd also say- Okay, love it. Understand the um, value of the property. So you understand- Okay. What level of offer you should make. And you can do that in a number of different ways. I think the first thing to do is really understand the context and the situation behind the sale. So you want to understand, number one, why the seller is selling. You also want to understand, has the seller found an onwards purchase or is there a connected onwards sale? You also want to understand mm-hmm. how many offers have there been on the property? How long has it been on the market for? Mm-hmm. There's a number of questions you can ask, but those ones I mentioned are really important. to Understand what context okay. the property is in. And then I'd also look at some empirical data okay. as well. So I'd, I'd look at sold comparables. I'd look at um, mm-hmm. what similar houses have sold for within the last year. And I'd also look at potentially yeah. what the market is doing at the time as well. So those are a lot of things that you should do before putting your offer forward. And once you've done that work and you've mm-hmm. understood all of those things, you're in a much better position to make an appropriate offer. Mm-hmm. And that offer might be the asking price. It might be 10% less than the asking price. And in this crazy market we're in, it could be 10% yeah. over the asking price. So I would definitely say um, those things. Okay. Wow. I love that. I love that. You know what's crazy? <laughs> you know what's crazy? You, do you know what I did, right? Yeah. I also looked at crime stats. <laughs> yeah. I also looked at crime stats. I'm like, look, yeah, I'm moving. Okay. So at this point, I weren't really living in the hood anymore. Yeah. I was yeah. living in a more nice area. So I was living in Greenwich. But yeah. around the corner, if I if I walk towards Deptford, it was still kind of the hood. So yeah. I was like, look, I'm kind of moving out of the hood. I want to live somewhere as peaceful, peaceful, at least more peaceful than where, where I was living before. So, um, yeah, so I was checking crime stats, um, which are available yeah, online. Yeah. I think it's through, I can't remember where it's through. Yeah, so you can you can check that. So that's quite good. Um, and all the tips that you said, I was pretty much doing that, checking like right. what other properties were sold. Um, yep. how much did this sell like for beforehand as well like just yep. a lot of things like it's crazy like when i feel like as, the more viewings you do the more you get to understand the process and what you need to to do so yeah it's crazy okay so cool so so then you put in your offer right put in your offer whatever price is at right and then what happens at that point after you put put in your offer yeah so that's what's called the negotiation phase so you can typically go back and forth maybe, you know, three or four times, potentially less than that. And then hopefully you finally yeah. agree, a, agree a sale price. So that stage of the home buying process is all about negotiation. And then the next stage is all about preparing for that sale to then proceed, not just with the finances, but also with the legals as well. And those two things work alongside each other so i would say at that point any decent buyer needs to instruct their solicitor which is basically a time for just paying them the money in order for them to get started to carry out what's called conveyancing mm-hmm. and then i'd also at that point instruct your mortgage broker if you're using a mortgage to make a formal mortgage application which is very different from an agreement of principle an agreement of principle is a soft check on your credit file it doesn't involve anything really that carries weight that can tell you exactly how much or they can tell you what mortgage you're going to get. It's just an indication of what you could spend in principle. So once you do those two things, instruct a solicitor, get your mortgage broker to make an application. It's then in the hands of those two professionals to then progress with the sale. 
So conveyances do their legal work in tandem with the other side's conveyancer, and then the mortgage broker is in contact with whatever lender you choose for them to organize surveys or mortgage valuations on the property and everything else that they need to do in order to give you a mortgage. Wow, wow, see? Crazy detail, crazy gems, crazy, crazy gems. Okay, so then, so zoom in that it's all fine, legals are all fine, yeah. finance is all fine, mortgage is all fine, that's gone through, and it's a lot, right? Like, you're, yeah, you're like, dealing with what, how many, three parties here, right? Yeah, you know, well, you know what's funny, like, like I was, three parties, your mortgage, yeah. I, was, I did a presentation the other day, and I think I made a list of every single party mm. involved in the home buying process, and I think it was around 15 people, mm. 15 different parties in total. Um, wow. involved in one transaction, which is crazy when you think about it. And that can that basically tells you why mm. the home buying process doesn't happen typically within a week. The average time frame for a yeah, set yeah. from point of being agreed to exchange of contracts is about eight weeks, potentially 12 weeks. And that's because of this, there's just so many different yeah. parties involved, all their vested interests, um, usually just trying to protect their interests, which is why so much due diligence happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Completely. Yeah, and they're trying to get paid. You know what's crazy for me, right? So when I bought my place, I almost not. I wasn't not gonna skimp out on a surveyor. I got yeah. one, right? But I was trying to not get the full structural because I was like, yeah. don't want to really spend an extra two, three hundred pounds on it. But I was like, you know what? After this is the biggest purchase of your life. You got to yeah. go f- through with it. And luckily, I did. He found out that it was like £3,000 worth of damp work what, to be what done. Was, what did you buy in the end? What, and what? obviously, uh, yeah, it was it was a house. Yeah, it was a terrace house, right, wow. that I bought, right? But there was damp in the living dining room and then on the external of the kitchen. So I don't know what who what the previous home buyers had done. I guess, the because what happened was they they had bought it a year before I bought it. Yeah, and I think they must have bought it from the maybe their previous owners didn't take care of it, so they wanted to do a quick renovation and get out and just try and sell it to a sucker. I was like, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be your sucker. So yeah, so the um, the surveyor said, yeah, yeah, there's damp. So yeah, I, I passed on the cost to them. I was like, you guys gotta do it before I, I we complete anything. I'm like, I'm not. They were like, oh, they're trying to get me to sign a contract. And my lawyer's like, I told, don't sign your, don't sign that contract. Don't sign it until they pay for it and they sort it. Then you do it. And the SAA was like, no, that's not how lawyers work. Da, da, da. I was like, mate, my lawyer's got my back. Like, yeah. so I'll, until you guys saw it when you saw it, then, you know, then, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll sign. But I'm lucky because if it was, if I were to do that, I feel like if I were to do that in this market now, I probably would have got gazumped. Yeah. And you just pointed point out one of the many things that can go wrong within a property transaction. That's just... We've, we've really sort of whizzed over it, but so many things can happen um, mm. with legals, you know, restrictive covenants. Um, what else can happen with, with legals? Um, service charges, um, works that need to be done that haven't been paid for. And there's just so many disputes that can arise, especially with leasehold properties as well. So um, you, you'd, yeah. be here, you'd be here for two months explaining every single possible scenario. But um, it's just best to... Yeah. Yeah, it's just best to be aware of that or at least understand that it's not smooth sailing uh, when, when it comes to conveyancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And just to explain, what does gazumpt mean? Yes, yes. Yeah, gazumpt so is essentially when an offer has been agreed on a property and then another buyer makes a higher offer 
and then the seller switches to that buyer, which has happened a lot in this market. Crazy. Again, that's because nothing is legally binding until uh, contracts have been exchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what Gazumpt means. It's not a, it's not a nice thing to happen. That's crazy, man. That's like some that that's like a like something out of like a mafia movie or something like that. That's just it's just mad. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So okay, so say you're happy with the 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 house. You've gone through your finances, legals, mortgages. Then are we at the stage where we look at completion? Yeah. So then comes contracts, exchange of contracts. So at that point, yeah, okay. to exchange contracts. You um. You want to obviously make sure that you have a mortgage offer. You also want to make sure that mm-hmm. the listener is satisfied with all of the responses to the inquiries that they've raised on the property. They will then provide a report to you. Mm-hmm. It's just a sort of bunch of paper that no one freaking understands, but you just read it and look like you do understand it. <laughs> I do understand it. Then you um, mm-hmm. once you do that, once a mortgage offer is in place and the lender's agreed, then the solicitors will be in touch to exchange contracts. Um, which is essentially just a call um, for solicitors to exchange contracts, but physically nothing actually really happens. Um, but that's what an exchange contract is. And once that's done, then you also oh, you also have to arrange buildings insurance as well. If you're buying a freehold property, you can't exchange without building. Yeah. Sorry, you can't complete without building insurance in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember them making me get like home insurance, which yeah. is crazy. Do you know what that is? Why they make you get home insurance? Yeah. Yeah, 100% because it's the lender's interests, number one. Um, okay. If anything happens to the house, the house needs to be insured. Um, so it's just a legal requirement of yeah. any mortgage. Yeah, yeah, they're trying to protect their money. Yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised. That's what banks are like. Okay, so after the exchange part, what happens next? Then it's all about post-exchange um, activities, which is the solicitors mm. registering things, land registry, um, dealing with what's going to happen on completion day, which is um, just speaking to all the relevant parties that were involved with the sale. So yeah, pretty pretty boring stuff from honest view, but it's all down to your solicitor. As a buyer and a seller, you don't have to really do much. Everyone celebrates and pop champagne when they've exchanged yeah. contracts. And that's fair enough because mm-hmm. there's a 99% chance it's going to go through. It's very unlikely to fall through at that point. So yeah. uh, that's when, um, that's what happens during that, during that point. And then on completion day is when you officially, you officially own the house. Okay, okay. And then you can start doing your Instagram. Yeah. Homeowner with your keys. Yeah. <laughs> and I bought a house. I'm only five years old and I managed to buy a house at five. That's how much love talking about the Oh, man. You know what's really funny as well? Yeah. Was, at the time when I bought, mm. I was 23. I was 23 years old, 23 or 24. And I just didn't think it was a big deal to buy a house that young. I didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal. But yeah. I wish I made a bigger deal. It is deal a big deal. That's a massive deal. I wish I made a much yeah. bigger deal. Yeah. I mean, you got to celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, it's it's just like one of them ones that you got to celebrate your wins at the end of the day. You know, it's a big achievement for you to get on a property like that. And I know it sounds like we're mocking. We're not really mocking. Yeah. Like, it's a massive, massive achievement. And, you know, celebrate it how you want to. If you want to do instagram everything go for it do you know what i'm saying you worked hard to, to to do that so i get it you know um you're one of the fortunate few that that managed to to get onto that and hopefully the people that are listening to this yeah, yeah. manage to 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 get onto that with with these tips okay cool so that's the process 
If you've got any questions, reach out to, to Topsy on Instagram. We'll, we'll talk, we'll, we'll get his um, at and it'll also be in the description as well. So, okay, let's go into first-time buyer schemes because right now, property, we just keep on hearing about how expensive it is, how much the prices are going up every month. It just seems to be a headline. I've never seen so much headlines about property prices and inflation. I know it's high. I know it. But we just keep on seeing record-breaking, record-breaking. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm tired of seeing this now. So... Fortunately for some of us, there are some schemes out there. Yeah. Can you break down the first-time buyer schemes that are out there to support people with getting their first property? Yeah, 100%. There's, a, there's quite a few. First one, the most famous one, I would say, is Help to Buy, um, which is essentially a mm-hmm. government equity loan where they will put up either 20% or 40% in London as an mm-hmm. interest-free loan that will allow you to put down a smaller mm-hmm. deposit and take on a smaller mortgage which essentially helps you increase your market. Um, so that's what the help to buy scheme is. It's available now currently for first time buyers only. And there is a price cap in London of £600,000. And it's also currently only available on new build properties. So that scheme ends, I believe, in April 2023. So you've still got a year left to find developers. Seriously? Next year? Next year. I mean, time, oh, wow. time really flies. That's soon. Time flies. And then... Um, yeah, so you've got you still got some time um, in order to try and find a developer who's participated in that scheme. Cool, what else cool, is there? Cool. And what other ones are there? Yeah, so you've also got shared ownership. People love to hate on shared ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any government scheme is, mm. um, you know, by definition, good or bad. It's totally dependent on who you are. Like, mm. every scheme is good, every scheme is bad, and mm-hmm. just speak to. But shared ownership, people love that one because it allows yeah. to buy a share in a new property and pay a subsidised rent on the shares mm-hmm. of their own. So, for instance, if you're only buying a 25% share, you only have to put down the deposit of that 25%. So, in some cases, you're paying as little three grand as a deposit to buy a a whole property, potentially even in London, Mm -hmm. which is an incredible way to get Mm -hmm. on the property ladder and not have to rely or not have to be scared that your landlord's going to sell and not have to only pay rent. And you've also got the ability to staircase Mm -hmm. upwards and increase your shares um, in that property over time as well. So, that's another Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. Yeah, I, I think I was sceptical about shared ownership. But I think the more that I've, I've, I've think, thought about it and with these property prices increasing so much, I just think it still keeps it accessible for some yeah. people. Yeah, okay, it's I mean, out of the ways to get onto property. It's probably not that ideal, but still it's better than... Yeah. it's If you want to get onto property, it's still a good avenue. Personally. Yeah, it's all, it's all relative, man. Like nothing is... You, you can't call something good unless you're comparing it to something else. You can't call something bad unless you're comparing it to something else. What yeah. is it in relation to? But if your only option is renting and you have three kids and you need security of a roof over your head, but you can't afford to buy something by yourself in the open mm-hmm. market, then shared ownership is a brilliant option. But if you're an only child, you've got the yeah. help of my bank of mum and dad and you've got 500k in the bank, then maybe shared ownership is a bad option. So it just depends on you want. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I love that. Yeah, those those are those are the two main ones, um, and then obviously you've got the ninety five percent mortgage guarantee as well, which is just a government backed initiative that's okay. encouraging lenders to provide ninety five percent mortgages, allowing people to put down as little as a five percent deposit, um, which mm-hmm. is which is again big help if you've got good income but you haven't got the ability to save up a large deposit. So that's uh, another scheme which is available. You've also got first homes, you've got yeah. right to buy, 
You've got um, obviously the, the lifetime ISA, which is a, which is a savings government scheme. There's a load of things out there to really help you, and mm-hmm. all worth researching before you make a decision to buy something. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, I definitely, I definitely hear those man. Some great, great schemes. I personally use the lifetime ISA. Yeah, great, brilliant, brilliant scheme. You know, you get free money from the government. Yeah, you know, people always ask what the catch is. The catch is you're buying your first property. That's the yeah. catch. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's free money at the end of the day, right? That that you should just make use of. Um, and yeah, yeah I, I made use of it. I was skeptical at, as well. And then when I started seeing the bonus getting into my account, I was like, wow. And then when I actually completed on my property with it, I was like, wow, it worked. Yeah, you there used was no, I didn't lose anything out of it. Yeah, so no, crazy, crazy, crazy um, benefits. Um, are there any drawbacks though on the help to buy and the shared ownership? I mean, with shared ownership, the main drawback people often refer to is um, the fact that you have to pay a hundred percent of the service charge, even though you own twenty five percent of the property. So people talk about that. Yeah. Part I'd also say with shared ownership, a lot of people buy shared ownership properties because they want to put down a low deposit and buy as little a share as they possibly can. So if you've staircased to seventy five percent. And you try and sell it the market for your property is really small and it can be difficult to sell it unless you staircase more okay. those are the two main drawbacks people talk about when it comes to okay. share ownership with help to buy yeah the obvious drawback is that you've got an equity loan from the government so key word is equity whatever their their stake is worth yeah. at that time that's what they're going to say that's what they're going to take sorry when you sell it mm. so 40 percent isn't mm-hmm. a figure if it goes down obviously their share goes down but if the value of the property goes up the value of their share goes up that they take when you sell it as well. So those that's the main drawback I would say with okay. help to buy. But again, all relative compared to what your other options okay. are. Okay. Okay. That's no that's that that that's fair enough. And you know, a lot of people that will be listening, maybe maybe their income isn't so high, right? Maybe it's like below average, right? Yeah. Do you think that they should use these schemes to get themselves onto the property ladder because they they also have aspirations and it's it's fair for them to also have aspirations. Obviously, I know this is a loaded question because it really depends on where they live. You know, if they're just on the average salary and they live up north, is much much cheaper than in in south, right? Well, okay, let's use an example to make it easier. Say somebody was below, they had a below average salary, right? Let's yeah. say there was on maybe 30,000 30, a year, right? Yeah. And they live... Okay, let's not do London because London's difficult. But let's say on the outskirts of London, maybe northeast, northwest-ish, maybe yeah. coming up towards Birmingham, right? And they, they saw these schemes. They were like, okay, look, help to buy. Maybe I could, have, I could probably afford it. Uh, shared ownership, I, I could afford it. Do you think generally that's a, it's a good idea for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, I would definitely just say... One thing I would definitely say as well is patience. I would say... You need to be, okay. don't feel like you have to rush into anything. So as, as, as much as I bought my mm-hmm. property when I was really young, if I potentially saved up a bit more money and if I'd waited till my earnings increased, mm-hmm. I probably could have bought maybe a much bigger house, potentially a much bigger house. Um, but I was just so keen to get on the ladder straight away. I don't regret it because it's obviously gone up in value a lot, but I potentially could have had a larger percentage growth if I'd gone for maybe a more desirable property in a different area. Um, not to say my property isn't a good area yeah. of where I live, but I'm just saying patience is really important. Don't feel like you have to 
keep up with the Joneses or don't feel like you have to, you know, follow the crowd just because they're buying properties really young. Mm-hmm. It's tight for you. And if it's becoming, you know, stressful and it's really putting you towards the edge, then I would say probably don't do it actually. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of homeowners yeah. who have a great house, but they've got a tiny chunk of equity in it and they're fighting to pay that mortgage, mm-hmm. they're fighting to pay those energy bills every single yeah. month. So yeah, you've got the great yeah. showpiece house, but you're you're struggling, bro. Like you're struggling. So I would definitely mm-hmm. say patience is really important in that. Right. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad because, like, I do definitely uh, understand that like, people want to definitely get onto to get onto property. But I agree. I feel like the situation, if it's gonna be like you're gonna put yourself into a position where it's gonna be a proper struggle, I just think like it's not even worth it, really and truly, to pursue it. And like you said, patience, right? Just wait, wait a few years. Even when I bought mine, I still wanted to buy it a few years earlier, but I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not ready. Let me just wait another one, two years to, to, to do it, right? And I know, like, a lot of people are, like, worried about, like, how fast prices are increasing. But I feel like there's always going to be a market for everyone, you know? Maybe you just have to compromise um, a little bit. And talking about compromise, so I'm from London. You're, you're, you're from London. Um, and, you know, talk of the town is always London when it talks about, like, when we talk about property prices as a place of being too expensive. A lot of people who live in London feel like they grew up here, but they're not going to be able to afford here, right? So is there any other areas that you think first-time buyers should consider? I say this all the time. It's really important to... I Sorry, I understand that it's difficult to potentially look somewhere else or outside of your initial search location. If you've lived there your whole life, it's quite sort of kind of sad having to move out. But every generation has at some point had to go through this, you know, at some point, it was really cheap to buy in Notting Hill, but those people had to move a little bit further out to maybe Westbourne Park or potentially even further out of West London. And it's similar with now. London is a great place to live, obviously, and it'll be great to be able to buy there. But literally going five, ten minutes up the train line or 20 minutes outside of your initial search location can save you, I don't know, like potentially 50, 60 grand on the asking price of a property. So... I think now first-time buyers, one of the best things they can do is be flexible in search location. And the first place you buy is never going to be the best. It's unlikely mm-hmm. to be the best. Yeah. You're probably going to be able to <laughs> buy something bigger and better. Your own to yeah. go up. So yeah, like it's not that deep as what I'm trying to say if you have to look a little bit further out. So yeah. I would say Londoners, look at the outskirts of London. And that's also where a lot of the capital growth is happening right now as well. People are working from home, mm. don't have to be as close to a station anymore. Mm. They can, you know, they want a bit of outside space, they want a garden, they want some greenery, some peace and quiet. And you can get that. And that's becoming more, mm. more, more valuable as time goes on. So I'd, I'd really encourage looking further out if you can. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Love that. Love that. And that, it was something I had to do as well. I faced that reality. I was like, yeah. I want to live in zone three. And I was like, I can't have zone. I can't do even a full zone four. So I was like, okay, zone six it is. Yeah, that's that's what it has to be, you know. And do I regret it? No. Um, is my quality of life better? Yeah, because I, I chose to sacrifice. And funny enough, it's crazy because I made this decision in I bought like September two thousand nineteen. Of course, I didn't know the pandemic was going to happen. Yeah. And then you end up having to work from home for a year anyway. So actually. Yeah. How important was it to 
to be as close as you as you thought you you needed. And it's like you said, as long as you're on a train line, a good train line, yeah, for sure, you pretty much can get to to everywhere that you need to that you need to get to. So yeah, no, I completely I completely agree with it. I think sometimes I feel like we're so fixated on living in the central London <laughs> that we forget all these other amazing areas down the outskirt yeah. that have got good fresh air, good fresh air, no pollution. <laughs> oh man, it's so crazy. Um, so. You know, for first-time buyers, they, like, again, like, for me, right, I didn't really know what I needed to look for, like, when I was, like, you know, in an area, what do I look for? So when somebody is, you know, looking to, to buy a place in a particular area, I say that they start to look around the outskirts. What, what do you think they should um, consider? I think it's really important as a first-time buyer, when you're looking in a new area, obviously you looked at crime statistics. It wouldn't be number one on my list, but I would definitely say it's important. Um, but as a first time buyer, the most important thing for you to look at in my eyes is somewhere that you're going to, somewhere that you feel you're actually going to enjoy living. A lot of people sometimes think about investment. Mm-hmm. They also think about, oh, but what's this going to be worth in five to 10 years, blah, blah, blah. But for me, there's a lot of excitement about having somewhere you can call your own. When I was initially looking, <laughs> yeah. When I was initially looking, I was looking in a place called St. Albans. I was like, and I've got to live here, like it's desirable, right near the station. But the properties I could afford mm. rubbish. They were stuck in the roof. They had eaves everywhere. And it wasn't really nice. A lot of work needed. And I basically said to myself, I actually want to enjoy. I'm spending all this money. Hold on. Let me enjoy where I'm living. So for me, just yeah. make sure you're stood in that property. You can see where you'll put your stuff. Yeah. If you can't really see that and it's more about investment and capital growth, for me, it's not really for you. That being said, mm. a lot of people are buying first-time buyer buy-to-let properties now. And that's a whole different conversation. So mm. You can put down 25% mm. of the property and it's all about renting it out. Then I would say, yes, all about the return mm. investment, all about capital growth, all about the cash flow you're going to get. And that's a totally different conversation. But for the, for the place that you're going to live in, yeah. please, for the love of God, make sure you actually enjoy enjoy the four walls that you're about to invest mm. hundreds of thousands of pounds into. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. Imagine just buying a box. <laughs> Do you know how sad that would be? What is just the buying a box, just a box house, like, yeah. What is the point? It's true. You need to, you need, it needs to be your home. Happiness. You want happiness. You, it's not about the sake of, of buying for the sake of buying, you know? And I think, having these conversations we want to make it clear we obviously want to give you the tips the best tips to to buy what works for you but at the same time we also acknowledge that patience is a key thing you know and being a bit flexible in terms of like locations in terms of you know what you're looking for and stuff like that and that takes me to another thing right so for me when i was looking i was also i was looking at flats as well right and I, at the time i didn't mind and then i was some of the flats I like that were nice, massive service charges. And then there's other ones I'm like, oh, but they're in a council building. I don't want to live in a council building again. And I was like, oh, you know what? I don't want to do flats. I'm just going to, you know, move to a house. But that's nothing against flats. I have no issues with flats. Do you think if that's all you can afford, and this is, this is the area you want to live in, because that's some people, right? They're like, I want to live in this area. I can afford a flat. That's where I'm living, right? Do you think that's what they should go for? That like, what's your what's your thoughts on flats? I'm in a flat Is myself. Right? Look at my look at my place. It's got lovely high ceilings. You know, the living room's massive. Yeah, nice separate kitchen hallway. Mm-hmm. Square footage of this place is 
you know, really good and it suited my needs. My flat also um, is in a really nice development. The service charge accounts for window cleaning, the grass being cut. And I'm just not the sort of person who wants to maintain everything about the house currently in the stage of life that I'm at because I'm just busy doing other stuff. So yeah, it's all about your needs and what your preferences are. A lot of people say, no, never buy a leasehold property, never buy a flat. And I was like, it's just a silly thing to say. Mm. Um, mm. Just make sure if you do buy a leasehold property, make sure that the number of years remaining mm. the lease is a good amount of is a good amount of years. I'm in what's called a share of freehold property, which is not a freehold. It just means that you have a leasehold, but you also have a share in the freehold, which effectively makes it, um, which effectively makes it that you never really have to pay to extend your lease, which is what, uh, which which can be a big okay. cost. For a lot of for a lot of people, mm. of course, there might be admin costs attached to it when you when you have to extend your lease. But my lease is like nine hundred mm-hmm. and fifty years, so I'm never gonna have to extend it. Uh, wow. But yeah, fine, absolutely fine. And they don't appreciate at a slower yeah. rate than houses do. Of course, the average value of a house across the country is higher than the average value of a flat, but the growth rate is pretty mm-hmm. much exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So I would say buying a flat is calm. Okay. Just whatever your, whatever your preferences are, and whatever suits you. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I've seen some amazing flats. Just yeah, saying, I see some sick. Oh man, some crazy ones. Um, and you mentioned you mentioned leasehold. So, what's yeah. the difference between leasehold and freehold? If you can explain that. Yeah, leasehold um, essentially means lease. Best way to describe a leasehold is actually that you're renting. You're still renting, actually, but you're just renting for a number and number of years. So, um, you're renting from the landlord. Another name for a, from, for a landlord is a freeholder. The freeholder is the person who actually mm-hmm. owns that building, the outside walls, the ground below and the ground and the, and the air above. And then you're essentially renting that property mm-hmm. within that landlord's building for a set amount of for a set amount of time, typically 100 years, 125 years, or in my case, because we collectively mm-hmm. bought the freehold as a building, 999 years. So that's what a leasehold property is. Mm-hmm. A freehold, which is what you've got, I'm assuming, okay. um, is when you actually own yeah. the whole building um, you're not a renter. You are the landlord. You are the freeholder, and you own everything externally, ground below, air above. It's your building. Mm-hmm. You don't pay any service charge. Typically, mm-hmm. some some freehold. Property. You, you own the air, you know. <laughs> Imagine someone owning your air. That's bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then again, then again, you do have maintenance for a house as well. You know, with my building, if yeah, yeah. the roof's leaking. I don't have to pay for that. That's within my buildings insurance cover and within my service mm. charge. If your roof starts leaking, you've got to pay for that. Yep, it's all on me. It's all on me. It's crazy. It's crazy. So like you said, there's like, you know, there there's pros and cons for, for each one. And actually, this this takes us on to costs. You mentioned a few yeah. costs there. What what are your typical costs? So we, we mentioned a few. We said deposits. We said, okay, repair works. We mentioned surveyor as well. What other kind of key costs um, does a first-time buyer have uh, that they need to consider? Yeah, buying cost is like um, a big one. The main buying cost is stamp duty. Um, of course, everyone knows about that. When you're a first-time buyer, you have what's called first-time buyer stamp duty relief up to £300,000, mm. um, which means that you pay no stamp duty, mm. essentially, of, of anything up to that amount. Um, so that's the main cost that you have to be aware of if you're a home mover or if you're buying above £300,000 as a first-time buyer. 
Um, and then there's a lot of other miscellaneous ones. Another large one is obviously solicitor's costs, which can range anywhere from a grand, mm-hmm. three grand if you're buying a leasehold or help to buy property because that involves more work from the solicitor. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've also got um, survey costs, like you've got a full structural survey, can be 500 quid a grand. So yeah, those are the main ones. And then there's a lot of other little ones here and there that can make it add up. But I would say probably earn five grand, excluding stamp duty, account for when you're buying property that can come as an unexpected cost when you're looking to buy somewhere because solicitors, you know, potential, uh, potential, um, sorry, potential surveys can amount to five grand in the worst of scenarios, maybe even more. So have that as a buying cost buffer outside of your deposit and stamp you when you're buying somewhere, if possible. Wow. 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 Great. Great. See, Jen, throughout people, you're hearing it here. Um, so we, we, you alluded to it a little bit before you said you, you mentioned that some first time buyers rent out their first property. Yeah. What, what do you think is better? Do you think as a first time buyer, you should buy a property to live in first or buy a property to rent first? I mean, again, it's not better or worse. It just literally depends on your situation. Mm. I think it's a really good option personally, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, because, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people are in a rush to get out. And sometimes they have to. Maybe there's not enough space at home. Maybe they, you know, they need to move mm-hmm. from work, so they have to live in their property that they buy. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's necessary in order to yeah. do that. Um, but if you don't have to move out mm-hmm. of your family home, I think buying to rent out is a great option. Um, I know a lot of people who've done it recently, mm-hmm. online, um, where they've gotten a buy-to-let mortgage as a first-time buyer, put down 25%, bought a property potentially in the Midlands or up north for, you know, in the low hundreds of thousands, and they've rented it out, and they still live at home. Mm-hmm. Great option if you can if you can uh, still live at home. So definitely something to, to consider yeah. if you're a first time buyer, um, or or potentially if you are going to buy somewhere and you can't afford to put down twenty five percent, I would just say buy your own place and potentially try and rent out a room if there's another mm-hmm. room there yeah, to a, to a second person who can live with you. So there's a number of options you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. now that that makes sense. That makes sense. And yeah, like you said, it's it. it it really depends on you, right? Like in terms of in terms of what you're doing, but yeah, um, it does sound like a good way to go. Like if you can rent out your first property and just start building your property empire, and then finally get your own. I think some people even don't even ever buy; they only just yeah. buy just to rent out and just rent, continue renting. I've seen Correct. some people do that, and it's Correct. very interesting. A it's that's a very yeah. very interesting approach. A lot of a lot of property investors actually, a lot of rich property investors mm. or Rich people in general, wealthy people in general, actually just rent, um, always rent. Um, Elon Musk, famously at the moment, doesn't own any real estate, doesn't own anything, um, just rents property. Um, I guess he's an extreme example, but even property investors themselves, they specifically yeah. property as an asset that should provide them with a monthly cash flow. And they almost see property mm. living as a liability and not necessarily an asset. And I think that term is a bit, you know, yeah. I think it's a bit... Um, it's arguable whether you want to call it a liability or an asset. We can go down that road, but a lot of wealthy people yeah. see property purely as a an asset that should yield them profit every single month. And if you're living in a property, that's not possible. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, and I think it makes a lot of sense actually um, if you can rent somewhere and only view property as uh, as an investment vehicle. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely, it definitely does. It definitely, it's, it's very, very, very. I find it fascinating to be honest. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to get our listeners to obviously avoid like any mistakes. What are some of the common mistakes that you see first time buyers doing? 
um, common mistakes. Number one, looking for a property before mm. before you even look at your um, affordability. That's number one mistake. People jump straight, yeah. to the right move. Yeah, I, I posted a funny meme I think a few months ago. You know that kid who stretches to the top mm. step of the staircase and skips out like four or five yeah. steps. And I placed like five or six things that you should do before you buy somewhere. And on that yeah. top step was looking at a problem. Yeah. So that's the number one, that's the number one mistake. I'd also say um, another one that comes to mind is underestimating how long it takes to buy somewhere. You sort of make an offer and you start celebrating when it yeah. gets accepted, forgetting that it could potentially take another three months. And in some scenarios, maybe another seven months to get to get it through. Wow, that's crazy! Seven months. Yeah. Wow. Imagine waiting that long to move in. I've seen nothing. Uh, it's seen... not for the faint-hearted. No. Yeah, you must have seen a lot of crazy situations, right? Like yeah. it's just. I've had sales uh, take. I've had sales. That is, that is... Like, more than a, like a year and a half before. <laughs> like I'm not joking, but. Um... <sighs> Yeah, eighteen months. Yeah, man. Yeah, extreme, extreme. Wow, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And there you have it. It's just this is the game we're in, the property game, you know. And yeah. I think you know the key terms that we're hearing here is, um, you know, patience. Um, so, you know, I wanted to end with this question because I know a lot of people are like worried about getting onto property ladder and they're like very you know they've they're hopeful let's say they you know they're ambitious they want to get onto it so if they if they don't have like a high income we're gonna go against a low low lower income because i don't need to worry about the high incomers the high incomers yeah for them they need to sort out their credit their budgeting but they they're in a good place because their affordability but let's the low low incomers they it's a little bit diff, more difficult for for them yeah and let's say they're, they're feeling hopeless yeah what can they do to, to get onto the property ladder? Because that's the golden question, right? That's always the golden question that people are asking. What can I do? Atto, I don't earn that much, right? What can I do to get myself onto the property ladder? I would say the government scheme is number one. So help to buy allows you to have a lower income in order to buy somewhere because the size of the mortgage you're taking is a lot lower. Mm -hmm. If you're taking a 40% equity loan mm -hmm. and you're putting out a 5% deposit, you're only taking a... Um, 55% uh, mortgage, right? I think I've done the math right. If I haven't, that's embarrassing, but I think I've done it right. Mm -hmm. um, and then, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the income requirements are a lot lower. Secondly, shared, uh, shared ownership. Again, income requirements are a lot lower because you're buying a share in a property. And then another thing which doesn't get talked about yeah. a lot is something which is called joint borrower, joint borrower, sorry, proprietor, okay. which essentially means that you're using the income and the help of another friend or family relative in order to combine your income with theirs to get a larger mortgage. So they almost wow. as a guarantor for your for your mortgage, but they're not on the property deeds of the property. So there's a lot of companies who are really pioneering wow. that type of mortgage at the moment. One of them called Generation Home, who I would recommend people looked at um, in order to try and to try and get help to get on the ladder if you've got income income struggles. So those three things number one, consider help to buy, consider shared ownership. Consider looking further out and consider joint borrower or sole proprietor. Wow, wow. I've never heard of that joint joint borrower or sole proprietor. I've yeah. never heard of that. Wow, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Awesome. You see, this is why I brought you onto the podcast so that people can hear hear about stuff like that because, you know, a lot of this stuff is advertised. Like, Help to Buy has been around for a while, so that's advertised. Shared ownership is advertised. But this, 
this sole proprietor one i've never heard of that so that is wow that is crazy and there you have it folks great 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 episode by topsy just dropped so many so many gems so what's next for you what are you planning what are you what's planning next for me um i would say mm-hmm. so I'm, i really want to be more i want to work more in media 100 percent um when i say media okay. tv radio um you know more more online internet stuff youtube instagram tiktok i think we're all trying to grow on that at the moment mm-hmm. um slowly but mm-hmm. surely um in god's time mm-hmm. your time god's time is always the right time um so yeah like i really want to do more mm-hmm. like I, I first and foremost call myself a presenter actually that's really what i, mm-hmm. I want to do um so that's that's one thing and then okay. secondly, also just really grow my influence and continue providing value um i think if you're on this planet yeah. you're on this earth you know just try and help people as much as possible um at least at least you can leave yeah. leave the leave earth knowing that you helped a lot of people if you can so um yeah like the journey yeah. of destination right we're all trying to you know find this magical place where we'll finally be happy and satisfied but it doesn't really exist does it um the journey is the destination because yeah it doesn't once you read your destination, exactly. destination you're gonna want to reach another one right so um just i'm trying to yeah, 100%. yeah 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 it's crazy you have to always like remind yourself like even like for us doing what we're doing it's a very unique kind of experience because we're trying to build something that isn't that didn't exist five years ago basically as a kind of industry let's say so we're trying to build this industry and you kind of some of you wants it now and then you think okay but if i got it now what fun am i having right yeah the fun is this these interactions talking trying to you know give people information you know, interacting with people seeing what they're they're going through and helping them that's the that's the fun part of all of this of course the success is is nice but there's only so much like fun there is with just with that you know you just need a bit of a balance so yeah no i completely agree with you on that so what's your what's your final word for the listeners my final word for the listeners um what comes to mind Mm -hmm. um final word for the listeners is yeah, final word for the listeners is just don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't give up. Um, I feel like mm-hmm. you sometimes think your actions are really pointless and they're not resulting in anything. But yeah. if it's, if you've got a real reason and a motivation behind doing what you're doing, and mm-hmm. and you feel like and you feel like you got a sort of purpose behind it and you're getting good feedback, you feel like you're good at it. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. I think whatever game you're in, it's a case of. Mm-hmm. It's a case of consistency and longevity, right? Whether it happens in a year, whether it happens in 20 years, yeah. kind of relevant, I think, in the long term. And just enjoy the journey along the way. And I say this as if I'm doing this a lot myself. I'm, I'm really not uh, as much as I would like to. But, yeah, just just, just really try and enjoy the journey. Man. Um, don't give up. Um, yeah, like, obstacles are going to come along, but just just um, accept that that's part mm-hmm. of the journey. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I completely agree with you, and I, I love that final, final word, being tenacious. And yeah, no, it was, it was great having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for blessing it. Thanks so much for providing so many tips. We haven't gone through first time buyer tips in that much detail, so I'm sure that the listeners are gonna appreciate it yeah. and uh, follow you. Tell them where they can uh, find you. Yeah, sure. So at Topsy Taiwo on Instagram, um, which is T. O P S Y 
T-A-I-W-O. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Instagram, that's on Twitter, uh, that's on TikTok as well. Um, and then my business, my property advice and my property platform, if you want to call it that, is at property purchaser on Instagram. So that's at property purchaser on Instagram. Follow me on there, drop me a DM if you've got any property related questions. I'll, I'll be happy to answer them if I can. Great. Thank you so much. Make sure everyone you go and follow Topsy. Like I said, property expert here. You see how much, and we're going to do another episode. You see how much info just for first time buyers we're providing you with. We're going to drop you more gems, property investing when I come through and through any other things that you, you all want to um, hear. But yeah, thank you so much Topsy for, for coming through and uh, blessing the podcast. Thank you to the listeners. The takeoff podcast is officially back and we ain't going on. away anytime soon thank you come on i like it man see you in a bit see you later bro